This episode is supported by ArcIT and Twinmotion. You'll hear more about them later in the show. He had this great visual in his slide for his presentation. He's got this, and I don't know what the software is called, but it it allows you to, to make a list of related things, and then it turns it into this interactive like web visual. And so that that just played as a gif as he was talking. And that really is how I think about it. Every meeting I'm in, I'm like, oh, right, let's get knowledge management in here. And so I absolutely can see how this will grow. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. My name's Evan Troxel. In this episode, I welcome Ellen Bensky. As a partner of Turner Fleischer Architects in Toronto, Canada, Ellen's mission is to build and lead a dynamic, results-oriented organization dedicated to client satisfaction, staff retention, and growth. Ellen joined the firm in 1990 in the accounting department. And over the last 31 years, she has risen to her current role as CFO and CEO in 2008. Passionate about learning, she is especially proud of spearheading an internal academy, which is the main topic of this episode, which provides a comprehensive learning and teaching platform for her studio of over 200 staff members and aims to nurture the firm's cohort of young, enthusiastic talent into tomorrow's leaders. In her current role, Ellen is able to engage daily in the process of successfully balancing business needs and architectural realities driven by her ambition for operational excellence. An experienced speaker, she has presented at local and international levels, including KA Connect 2018, which I've included a link to in the show notes, which is a fantastic presentation, and the Royal Architectural Institute of Canada's 2018 conference, and at Autodesk University, which is where I was lucky enough to drop into a couple of her classes. In this episode, we cover how Ellen and her team built a teaching organization and a learning culture at Turner Fleischer Architects, their experience and how that effectively works within the construct of a firm, the benefits that come from a firm that doesn't require their staff to have utilization targets, the difference between knowledge and data, who should teach in an organization, the importance of feedback loops, and so much more. So without further ado, I bring you Ellen Bensky. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here, Evan. So you're the CEO of Turner Fleischer Architects, and you guys are in Toronto. Am I saying that right? I think it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah, Toronto. Although people that live here might say Toronto, but I like to say Toronto. You, there's, a, there's a hard T at the end of that, yeah, mm-hmm. or close to the end of that. So you've actually had an interesting circuitous path at Turner Fleischer. You started in accounting. Can you maybe give us a little bit of how you got from accounting to CEO? As you know, I don't want to drag this out, but wow, that's an amazing turn of events. Thank you so much. So the story started 31 years ago when I was looking for a job and I was looking for a job in accounting and I answered an ad in a newspaper. And yes, that was the only way to find a job back then was through a newspaper the classifieds, ad. Classifieds, yeah. <laughs> the classifieds. It was a little teeny thing Peter Turner put in and he was looking for somebody to do his accounting. And I went in on a Saturday 
And I started a conversation with him and he literally handed me a box of accounting software and said, you know, can you do this? And at that moment in time, I had been running a a computer company for five years before that, but my degree was actually in psychology. Perfect for an architecture firm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and when I, when I realized that it was going to be about people and not about computers and defective computers and returns and shipping, I was like, oh my gosh, when he handed me that box, I was like, I can do this. Absolutely. And went home and started on the Monday and 31 years later, I'm proud to say that I'm the CEO and the CFO of a 200 person architectural practice that has survived now uh, two recessions and a pandemic. That's amazing. That's my journey. It's so interesting because you guys have grown through the pandemic. And I think one of the things that, you know, the main topic that I wanted to talk about with you, because I've attended two of your courses at Autodesk University, that's where I was introduced to what you guys are all about. And I, it was so great for me as the director of our digital practice at HMC Architects when I was developing the framework for that to see you guys as kind of a case study of what didn't work versus what was working. That was huge for me. And also kind of relating it back to the five different generations that are operating in the firm at the same time and kind of crossing that those barriers with knowledge and data and information and that you guys were intentionally putting an investment into the people of your company around knowledge and learning and teaching. That for me is, I mean, that's our main topic today is, is the importance of, and maybe some case studies in, in a successful version of that. And I think what you've shown throughout your career there is that not only have you adapted to lots of different roles, but it also speaks to how important it is to share that information across everybody in the firm so that you're all moving forward together instead of i i just do this one little thing i stay in this lane i never get out of it like you've shown how you've kind of swerved across the freeway <laughs> multiple times Absolutely. to do this and it, and it's not just a straight up linear pathway you know in a career path you can actually do lots of different things and, and you've even kind of acknowledged that you you love it when people inside your company can find a different role to really pursue their passion. It might not be where they started, but allowing people to do that. I mean, maybe you can just start off by speaking to, you know, what what this specific road has been like for you in this whole knowledge and data, because that's really, I think, what we want to hone in on here today. For sure, for sure. Um I can tell you the exact moment in 2006 when everything changed for me. I was at um, an AIA convention and I went to a presentation and they were talking about Revit. And I walked out of the room, called my then boss, who's now my partner, and said, okay, my world's just been blown out of the water. There is this tool called Revit and this is what we need to do. And I came back and that's exactly what we did. And adopting, we we were already set up as a business, not necessarily just a practice. So that was the first iteration of my career was ensuring that we were operating as a business. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, oh, now we want to be a technology forward thinking business. We've, I've seen this. And so we, we, that started what is now 
um, an 11 person digital practice department led by a chief technology officer integrated into everything we do as a studio. And as we took that journey, um, the need for learning and teaching and knowledge sharing became more and more and more evident. And it became evident over um, a few factors for us that were very important. We were growing very quickly. And in 2015, we started our TF Academy, which was our formalized learning platform. Because we were growing so quickly and technology was growing at such a fast pace, how did we get that knowledge into the hands of the people that needed to use it? Mm -hmm. And you couldn't say, go out and take a course on Enscape at night, because guess what? Nobody was teaching courses on Enscape. You know, here, what's Dynamo? Well, figure it out yourself and yeah. come back. So that was a big impetus for the learning portion of what we did. And you've heard me speak about the greens and the grays. And I have a lot of greens, a lot of young people that come equipped with a lot of technological knowledge. And I've got a lot of grays um, who have years and years and years of incredible experience and knowledge around the practice of architecture and the practice of interior design. And so um, our academy allows the greens to teach the grays and the grays to teach the greens. Mm -hmm. And that, that served us well up until a couple of years ago when we became introduced to knowledge management and okay, now you've got all of this going on. You've got all this technology Everybody's working in it, but we've got all of this knowledge outside of that practical knowledge that we're teaching. How do we make sure that everyone in the studio knows what the standards are, knows how this connects to that and finance connects to project management? And there's so many areas where knowledge became um, a key um, factor in our success. Um, that now we've transitioned and we're creating, we've just created a knowledge management department. That's awesome. It, it sounds mm -hmm. like, I mean, you guys have put a lot of attention into becoming, to having a culture of learning and saying like, it's okay to do that here. You don't have to do it on the side. You don't have to do it outside. You don't have to go to YouTube to find that on the weekends or you don't have to be self, even necessarily self-motivated to do that, which a lot of people aren't right because they clock in and they clock out, but doing it there. And having that kind of cross-pollination, I'm sure, is valuable to people throughout the company. Because I, when we were doing this and having these technology courses and you're teaching skills, people from accounting and business services and human resources would show up because they work in an architecture firm. And they wanted to know what it was all about. And they were getting as much value out of that stuff, even though they were never going to use it. But just knowing about it and why people were interested in it and what it could do was a big benefit to the firm's culture as well. So I imagine you guys have lots and lots of stories like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm living proof of it. I mean, I, I am a CanBIM certified member. So Canadian BIM council, I'm not an architect, but I'm, I'm, I've got my level one. I've also got an honorary degree in technology from one of the local colleges here. And I gained all of my knowledge to be able to help me be impactful and bring technology into our studio by listening. Yeah. And by learning. And every time we had a, a talk on anything, I would go and listen. Doesn't matter. I mean, I can, I can talk to you all day about Dynamo. I can't write a script. I could never write a script, but I, I understand it. And 
going to conferences and taking the opportunity to listen and learn. And so I always tell everybody that starts, no matter what role, when you see what we're presenting in the academy for the coming semester, which we just launched our 20th semester an hour ago today, um, take take a look at every course and elective that's being offered and don't be scared because anything is going to help you in whatever your role is, gain a better understanding of what we're doing collectively as a studio. Maybe we can take a a step, like, I don't know, back, but overarching, just think, like, why is this important at all? I think a lot of firms struggle with the idea that it takes time and intention away from actually working on projects, getting that next job, uh, to do this stuff intentionally. You've said it before. It's you had to dedicate people to do this because when it's competing with the day-to-day job of doing the project, it's, it's almost impossible for it to succeed. If we if we do step back, why is knowledge capture and sharing and learning important in a company? I mean, I think the the initial maybe place we start is growth, right? You're, you're pulling in people with different ideas, different experiences, different sets of standards, different ways of working because the other firm does it differently. So, I mean, that's a great place to start, right? It's like, okay, this is us. Let's tell everybody who we are and how we do things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I always tell people when they start, you know, we've got a very involved onboarding process. And and I always say to people, you know, we're a lot. We are absolutely a lot. If you have a fixed mindset, we're not the right place for you. And I'll tell people that in an interview, you need to have a growth mindset. You need to want to learn and bringing everybody in together. Again, our philosophy of our studios, we are a real studio and everybody, we, we collectively achieve our success. And that's from the top down. Mm-hmm. When we're allowed to be in the studio, we all sit together. There's no private offices. There's no, pretense the partners are all right there for us it's all about we have to be in this together to be able to provide our clients the best possible service that we can and um, i'm very proud to say we're a 47 year old firm and we didn't have a marketing department until five years ago that's amazing because it was all client driven growth yeah so when you when you when you have that philosophy as a company You've got to be able to teach people when they come in how to be a part of the culture. So part of the impact of our academy, but also our onboarding process and also our intranet platform, which is where all of our knowledge is stored and how we communicate with each other on a regular basis, you you need to be able to understand all of that. And you can't, my belief is you can't just, you know, welcome somebody on board and say, here, go. Yeah. Sink or swim, yeah. Right. We have a lot of information available. You can't even say to somebody, find it yourself, because there's so much of it. Yeah, You'd, they'd be drowning in it. They wouldn't know where to look. There's no way to prioritize that. I, I think a lot of people look at an internet, and they're like, wow, there's a lot of noise on here. And, I mean, that is kind of overwhelming, especially for somebody who's not used to, you know, a, an endless feed on their phone every day that... The, the younger generations are like, just frankly, you know, they're just constantly scrolling through content and it's not a big deal. Whereas somebody else who doesn't do that all the time is just like, whoa, too much overwhelm, shut that down. Like, I, I'm just going to close the window and pretend it doesn't exist. And I think, you know, one thing that, that I heard a lot 
in digital practice was like, I don't see the value in this. It's just a lot of noise. And I'm like, well, what are you contributing? That's my first thing to say back to them is like, well, how are you helping to make it better? How are you helping to relay your knowledge that you have to people who are interested in that thing? Because I know you've got it. You're a leader in the company. And and then it was like quiet, right? And it wasn't like a shaming exercise, but it was like, no, seriously, you got to reframe how you think about this. You can't just think about it as social media because that's what it might look like on the surface. But when you dig in, it's like, there's a huge opportunity here and you can be part of that opportunity instead of the peanut gallery that's just complaining about it. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think a difference in our studio also is we, again, I go back to the top down. Everybody from all of my partners right on down is participates on our intranet and everybody understands the value. Everybody comments on posts, everybody makes posts, everybody understands that's number one. If you don't have top-down buy-in for any of these things, they won't work the way that you need them to work to be impactful to make change. And the the the, the next thing that is really important, and it's important in what we were talking about in, in digital practice, in knowledge management, in anything that you choose to do, you need to do these it with intention. Mm-hmm. So even our intranet has a core team of people who's part of their job is to maintain the internet. So it's not part of someone's job and part of someone else's job and part of someone else's job. It's an intentional group of people that have this as part of their job. And that makes a huge difference for the success of a knowledge sharing platform. And with without that, especially in this pandemic, I am so grateful every day that we had such a culture and a platform of knowledge sharing that everybody uh, participated in. Because when we moved home and at the time before the pandemic, we were about 147 people. So suddenly we were 147 virtual offices. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have that kind of buy-in and that kind of um, presence of a knowledge sharing platform. I really don't know how we would have stayed together and maintained our culture and continued learning together and then multiply that by hiring over 60 people during that period of time, yeah. it wouldn't have been possible. It's so interesting because the, you know, getting back to this idea of knowledge versus data and, and just kind of knowledge as a resource, your internet as a resource versus day-to-day communication, right? Like there's, I was just just talking with somebody who works at Slack and they're saying, you know, originally Slack started out like it's an acronym. I didn't know that Slack was an acronym and I don't remember what the acronym is, but the last two letters C and K are communication and knowledge. So they originally wanted to start off as a kind of like what we're talking about with an internet type of an idea where it was a knowledge base. But it turned out that everybody just used it for communication. But both of those are important. And and we are actually distinguishing between the two. There is this day-to-day kind of communication that's very transient. People rarely go back and search through it, but it's just a way to, to talk, especially when you have 147 plus remote offices. But then you're also talking about this platform that is a place for knowledge. And hopefully it's not like where knowledge goes to die in a dead document, but a place where it just continues to evolve and get better and more rich over time. Like Those are two very kind of different things, but they're also kind of streaming at the same time. And it's important to balance the two, right? And not just get stuck in the day-to-day chat and video call 
uh, and emails, but also like taking the bits out of that and putting them over in the bucket where it's going to get looked up later and be valuable over time. Absolutely. Um, and that that's really part of the impetus for us to create a knowledge management department. So our knowledge management department now owns the responsibility of our internet. We were always very focused on that. You have to keep the knowledge relevant. You have to keep the knowledge current. So the content has to con- has to be looked at, revised, updated, um, always. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's their role now yeah. is 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 doing that. And one of the most interesting experiences that we've had over the pandemic, and that I've been lucky enough to be part of a lot of different groups with CEOs from other studios around North America during the pandemic is exactly what you were just talking about is even companies that had intranets that had knowledge and communication before the pandemic, it got diluted over the pandemic. And so Slack became or teams Mm -hmm. became where people were talking and then teams became places where knowledge was being kept. And then it was, you know, it just, it diluted their whole structure. And so many people allowed it to dilute their structure because it was like, we just have to be, we just have to be connected. And they didn't do it with thought. Whereas my approach was we've got our internet platform. Zoom chat came in and people started Zoom chatting, but it was always very clear. Zoom chat was really a, Hey, are you available? Mm -hmm. I didn't want actual knowledge to be shared on Zoom chat. And the same thing, we we joined the 365 world during the pandemic. And one of the reasons I was afraid of 365 was I was afraid of teams and I was afraid of knowledge going, you know, off our internet. A million different people. silos, right? <laughs> every yeah, project, and- every project team now has a place to put stuff. That's not the same place that they're used to putting stuff. Yeah, that's a huge and problem. The document, and you lose the, the document credibility because they'll take the documents off of where it was was stored for us. It's the internet. They would take it, put it on Teams, and then change it. And now they've, they're working with their own documents. So everything yeah. that we worked to get rid of those silos, they were being created through the pandemic. And I'm so proud to say that that didn't happen to us because we intentionally, and again, I use the word intention yeah. because for all of the things we're talking about, intention is, is, is at the top. So we did it intentionally that we did not allow that to happen. And so we've come out of this with the same internet knowledge platform, intact, vibrant, and the singular place to find how to live and work and understand our studio. That's amazing because so many people struggle with that. All the firms are struggling with that. There's so many different places where things can go. And I know some people who are high up in digital practice in very large firms, and they're just like, throwing their hands up in the air because they don't, they didn't get ahead of it. Number one, they don't have enough agency over, you know, like people don't answer to them. Like project yeah. teams don't answer to them. And so their standards, I mean, it's kind of the wild West on, in many levels, right? It's like, where's the stuff? I don't know. It's wherever the team decides to put it. It's like, well, is it getting backed up? It's like, I don't know. What if it doesn't? Well, then we're screwed. Okay, so like you can just see how this just goes in circles, and it's so it's so fantastic to hear that you guys got ahead of that, and we're able to come out of it with some sense of like, man, we still know where the stuff goes. Yeah, and I think also I think it goes back to the concept of giving the respect to these 
non-project related roles in a studio. And so our digital practice department is incredibly respected. Our new knowledge management department is respected. And the project teams are respected for what they do within their discipline. Mm -hmm. But how they do it and the processes that they follow from the perspective of the business is not their choice. They're, that that's yep. we've got everything in place that we need to, and so and you know people people will kick and scream you know for a while and go well wait I want to do it this way or I did it this way at my last studio or this idea is better and not that we're not open to ideas but we've got systems in place and we get to say to our project architects and interior designers don't worry about any of that yeah. you focus on your area of expertise will provide you the structure to allow you to keep your focus there. Let's take a short break from the conversation to talk about this episode's sponsor. Now, you've probably heard of Zaha Hadid Architects. They're one of the world's best-known firms, and when it comes to innovation, they're big fans of pushing boundaries. The team at ZHA has started using Twinmotion, a simple, real-time ArcViz tool that lets you instantly visualize ideas and clearly communicate them to stakeholders. ZHA designer Marco Margetta says that the benefits of using Twinmotion for the designers are the simplicity of the interface, the playfulness with which you can articulate your scenes, and not having to worry about all the technical aspects that real-time usually brings, like light maps, PBR workflows, and other technical details. Marco also loved Twinmotion Cloud, which lets any member of the team access a project from their web browser without a single download or installation. The project manager can access the model, review it, and immediately give you the feedback anytime from anywhere, says Marco. To download your exclusive free trial, head to twinmotion.link slash trxl. That's twinmotion.link slash trxl. And ArcIT. One of the things that I really like about the conversation that I had with the folks over at ArcIT was to learn about their Design Under Influence video series, which is really empowering you in the firm to be proactive about how IT is supporting your business. One of the ways that they're doing that is the Design Under Influence video series, and I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. And in particular, I was scrolling through all of the great training sessions that they're offering in these video series for people who are dealing with IT decisions and running their business. One of the things that stuck out to me was this article entitled Free IT Budget Spreadsheet Templates for Architects and Design Firms, providing you the downloadable spreadsheet that you can then go enter your equipment and the professional services that you may or may not need, depending on the staff within your company, And it really gives you a great overview into what it's going to take to run your business more effectively from an IT standpoint, and also be able to decide if that's really where your best value is served in your business. So as business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? Typically, only when things go wrong. For many of us, unfortunately, this happens too often, especially with the latest emphasis on remote work. I know that I've had to deal with my fair share of IT fire drills not pleasant. ArcIT, however, is a very different kind of company. They specialize in serving architecture, design, and engineering firms, and their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage. This means that they understand your technology stack, and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process. 
Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. ArcIT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope, because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry. Their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, Speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT-type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. So go to GetArcIT, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com, arc-like architecture in the middle, and click work with us. And now let's get back to our conversation. It's the, the topic has come up before on this show and in practice too. It, a lot of people look at standards, like what you're talking about, as handcuffs. <laughs> and it's not, it's freedom. It's, it's like, yeah, like you said, you, can not, you don't have to worry about that. It's taken care of so that you can do something that matters with what you're yeah. really good at. And that is a mindset shift. For sure. And it's not to say like you're doing it wrong, but it's saying, no, like we've got this part. Focus on what you focus on your strengths, which are should should be better than managing where the data goes or managing. Yeah. yeah, Like that, that should not be what you focus on. I mean, the interesting thing is we do also offer our staff opportunities to get involved if they want to. So we've got incubators, for example. So we've got a automation incubator. And you may say to me, well, why would you have an automation incubator when you've got an 11 person digital practice team? Don't they take care of automation? They're not working on projects necessarily. Like they don't see the dots that need to be connected like somebody whose head's down on a project could be. But also, yes. but And so a lot of great ideas come out of the incubators because of that, because the people are in the projects and they know. But also to give people the opportunity to take some time to focus on a secondary passion that they may have. Yeah. But it's, it's done in a way that it's a passion, not you're responsible for creating this because our workflow needs this and we're going to take that and we're going to use it over there. It's more of a, again, I go back to the blue sky thinking the idea generator that they can be a part of as opposed to our digital practice department is really responsible for how do we do this as a studio. And so we still do offer those opportunities for people because a lot of people have, have interest and passion in, in some of these, some of these topics. So this yeah, this gets back to something you said, I think before we hit record, but it was, you guys don't have utilization ratios and targets and things like that. So like you just said, you give people the opportunity to kind of opt in to their passion, <laughs> which is a little crazy to think about. It's like you would hope. <laughs> but, but but maybe you could speak to that for a moment uh, as far as like how successful that's been or, or your experience with that, because a lot of firms live and die on those utilization targets and ratios. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, firm belief of mine that putting utilization targets on people 
limits their creativity. Um, when you're doing it in a timesheet based organization, like we all are in, it makes people want to lie when they're filling out their timesheets because they know. I'm li- <laughs> Wait, what? Fictional timesheets? That's a new concept. <laughs> Who's <Not>. it just, right? <laughs> so, and, and why do they, why, why are they prompted to lie? Because on Monday morning, I've, I've had people tell me stories of the, on their desk on Monday morning was their utilization target. And if it was 85% and they only got to 83, there would be like a big red X over it. And that's how they You're start in trouble. their week. Yeah. And so um, trouble is a good, that's a good concept. My, I think that a lot of people in, in professional services organizations that have utilization targets live in fear. Yeah. And if you come to work every day and you're living in fear, how can you actually be creative and do your best at the job that you have and the job that you have should be something that you're passionate about. Otherwise, you're spending a lot of time doing something that doesn't really matter to you. So are and you so going to do it well, right? Like- I'm not going to do it well. Yeah. And so I can tell you 31 years later, um, we are a very successful, profitable company without ever having given a utilization target to anybody. That's that's interesting. I, you know, I, the the whole idea of, incentivize so the most of the architectural world lives with the within the rules of incentivizing people to spend as little of time as possible on a project do it faster reuse steal from the old project you know even if it's broken who cares it's faster and then guess what it's still broken in this project right if you are talking about like components or revit families or things like that and so by kind of flipping that on its head and Finding success in that, I mean, you didn't even flip it in its head. It was just your intuitive, as, as a CFO as well, I, I imagine, you actually mm-hmm. with authority can say, this actually works. It's not like you're theorizing. You it, you don't feel that it's working. Like, you know yeah. it's working, right? So what what a story. Like, I, I didn't expect to go here <laughs> in a in a topic of knowledge. and But this is a, this is a, a really great case study. I mean, if... But it- Evan, it does. It impacts knowledge because the way that you look at knowledge, if you don't unleash yourself from those typical constraints of a studio, you're never going to think about knowledge. Um, And I've heard that from many, many people like, like, I wish my leadership would think about knowledge. Well, they don't because their focus is on the bottom line that they feel they're generating by giving constraints to people. You're not in business to meet the bottom line. What are what are we in business for? We are in business to make the world a better place, to better the built environment in the ways that we we want to do that, in the ways that's why we exist. We don't exist to hit the bottom line targets, right? So, yes, no, I I I think I think an interesting example of that Revit templates. Mm-hmm. So everybody started projects, and they would copy the last project and they would do it however they wanted. And we had this ad nauseum conversation about why did you start it with that? Why didn't you use this template? Or we had that template or this department had that template. And guess what? When you've got a digital practice department full of really, really smart people, it didn't take them very long to create a singular Revit template and embed everything that needed to be embedded in it. Well, guess what? What happens to the efficiency of your projects when everybody's starting their projects from a singular company-wide Revit template? Uh, we never would have been able to get to that point if I didn't have all of these super smart people going, oh, there's a problem. Let's fix it. Now let's give it to everybody. Yeah. And 
boom, you're done. And not only that, but I mean, the trickle down effects of that are, well, now I can switch projects and go to work and be effective immediately because I know what to expect inside this template. If everybody, we've had this discussion many times at my previous firm and it was like, well, it took me two weeks to get up to speed on your project because I did that. Wow. That was different. (laughs) You know, talking about ROI, right. The, the, the hated ROI, right. You tell me where the ROI. So I've got unbillable people creating a studio wide Revit template Show me, you know, the ROI. Seriously, right. it's 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 everywhere. Right. It's simple. It's done. We have, you know, they've they've created model audit. Like they, you run this model audit script, and it goes through your whole model and checks a whole bunch of different things to see if you're in line. And if you're not, it tells you. And and we've gamified it. You want to get your score down? You do this. You do that. Could never have done that without without having a, a department related to that. Even things like, you know, knowledge, so data, you talk about data and knowledge, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Siloed data everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so now that I've got a knowledge management department, now we're like, we had softwares that we were linking through coding. So our financial software is linked to Revit, is linked to Open Asset, is linked to Bamboo HR, is linked Everything has all of these links. Well, now we're, we're looking at it differently and we're starting to think about data warehousing and where should that single point of truth be and how should all of the other platforms be interacting with each other? Right. That is an incredibly powerful concept to talk about turning something upside down. I couldn't do that without my knowledge management department and my digital practice department really coming together and going, okay, let's let's relook this and how can we rethink this? And the possibilities are endless if we can achieve a different way of looking at and interacting with our data. The whole idea of connecting all these services via APIs so that they can talk to each other. So that, I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, you can kind of proactively analyze across the silos and connect them together to draw a diagram that could not be drawn if they were all separate, right? Like that's, that's the overall idea behind doing that and having that, that data warehouse so that you can start to create the insights that allow you to take your decision-making to the next level, because it basically creates a foundation across all of the different aspects of the practice that are actually all working together, but they're really, it's so interesting to see the, the mindset shift from departments to the overall practice and how these things are actually all moving parts in the bigger machine. And you can look at that. that. Right. And that goes back to what you were saying, right? Like why do all of this? Well, if, if everybody isn't cognizant of the bigger machine Mm -hmm. and how everything interacts, they are never going to change their mindset from I'm siloed over here. My role is project architect on this commercial project. That's all I'm thinking about. And that's all that I care about. You can never have a company of any, in my opinion, that is really able to leverage the power to do something greater if everybody is not on the same playing field of knowledge. Yeah, it's a, the, the analogy we use a lot in, in our small company is puzzle maker, puzzle builder. Like you've got all these puzzle pieces, but you've got to have somebody 
who's actually makes the whole puzzle that then can assign or see the value in each of the puzzle pieces and how they fit together perfectly. Because if each puzzle piece is only worrying about their own piece of the puzzle, that's never going to happen, right? So you've got to kind of have this oversight level of orchestration going on to make that as effective as possible and really like make the ties between those puzzle pieces stronger so that they can see that bigger picture and get a little bit out of their lane to understand the value that other people are adding to their adjacent piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I was sharing with you previously, my, my knowledge manager is teaching a course to the studio on knowledge management, because if everybody doesn't understand what this new department is here for, they're not going to leverage it and they're not going to care about it. And it's not going to be able to do what it is intending to do. So he's teaching a course in our Academy in the fall. And he used this mind mapping software to really list out sort of all of the ways thus far, all of the areas of the practice that he feels are tied together with knowledge. And it created this incredible moving mind map of, of, of connections that looked like a galaxy of rotating. And, and that's really what it is. And once you start to look at it that way, it's fascinating how you can, if you just continue to connect the dots of knowledge Again, I go back to the power of what we can do as a collective. And that has so much importance to me, not only in terms of what we can create that's better and that our deliverables will be better and our client service will be better, but it gets back to what we were talking about, the experience of coming to work every day. If you feel like you're part of something bigger and together you're doing something different. That you can't do by yourself. The power of working together is that you can go a lot farther. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's and that's um, that's what keeps me excited. Thirty one years later, coming into coming into work every day is is the power of possibility. And without the the connections that we've created and the culture of these connections, it we, it wouldn't be possible. One of the one of the things that I w- I would love to talk about is the idea of feedback loops. And making things better over time. And we talked earlier about, you know, dead documents versus living documents and how they continue to evolve. But also the courses themselves. I'm sure that you guys have like a feedback loop so that the courses get better. And over time, I bet there's people who started out taking courses and they never saw themselves becoming a teacher. And then they're teaching a course. I mean, maybe you can speak to that kind of, you know, framing it around the idea of what happens with a feedback loop and how that becomes a flywheel to include people who never saw themselves being included in that process and how that can just grow and, and become like its own machine in some levels. Absolutely. I mean, feedback, I believe feedback is so important for everything. We, uh, we do pulse surveys all the time. Um, when we want to know how people are feeling, we'll just stick out a pulse survey with a couple of questions. We did an entire um, employee experience survey last summer. And when we finished it, the gentleman who I hired to run it for me, I said, okay, like, let's now let's take the data and let's, you know, I'm going to make an action plan. And he was like, you're going to do what? I was like, well, I'm going to take the data and I'm going to do something. And he was like, you don't know how many people hire me to do employee experience surveys and then say, oh, great, thank you. And they put it aside and they never look at it. It's again. either confirmation bias or that's not what we wanted to hear. <laughs> right, right. And I was like, thank you. The areas I need to improve are exactly what I wanted to know about. 
and and then I can affect change and we can do something different. So we take feedback really seriously and especially in our academy and our, our learning, the students are asked to give feedback at two points during a course. If it's a brand new course, they're asked to give feedback halfway through so that the new instructor can course correct before the end if there's something that's glaring that they're that they're missing because as you said like we have a lot of people that never dreamed they would be a teacher and have an opportunity to do so and then at the end of the courses there's another opportunity for feedback and we read all of the feedback and we meet with the teachers and we go through it and we make changes and we ask what type of courses they would like to see in the academy. And without feedback, you can't possibly keep anything progressing or innovating or changing. You can't. And I think that's where a lot of training and development dies. Yeah. The, the important distinction here, I, I feel like it's worth stating, is you guys have semesters and the course runs multiple instances like like meetings points like a norm like a university class throughout the semester it's not just a one and done kind of a thing i think the one and done kind of lunch and learn style seminar is leads to the kind of outcomes that you don't want which is like okay i checked that off the list i'm done i moved on and so what you're doing by having these feedback sessions or opportunities halfway through the course and at the end of the course to give somebody a an opportunity to course correct who's leading that course is huge yeah. because that yeah. does lead to better outcomes for everybody for satisfaction in the course. Like, like when I started the training Academy for our digital practice, it was, look, if people go away from this and they didn't feel it was worth their time, guess what they're going to tell everybody and guess who's not going to show up to the next one. Right. So it's gotta be the best course they've ever taken. <laughs> <laughs> how can you make it like that? And then how can you get feedback to to make it even better for the next people? Because you want that kind of organic growth and interest to happen outside of the class so that you're not the only one with the megaphone saying, hey, come to my class, right? Like that's not going to work. You have to you have to build this kind of network effect. Absolutely. And and as I said, we just did our launch for our fall semester and it's our 20th semester. And as I was introducing the classes and each teacher comes and, and um, introduces their own class and does a little sort of take my class. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Mm-hmm. And, and some of our classes have run every single semester since this started in 2015. And the, the people that are teaching them. So, you know, my, my partner um, teaches a site visit course and you, know, you go to site and you learn and you learn how to write a site visit report and, we pick a different site every semester and that course has been running every single wow, semester. Since awesome. But I also have, you know, sustainability is a big focus of ours as a studio. And I have a, a new member of our studio who came to me last year and said, if we want to really make a difference in sustainability, I really feel like we need to learn more about just the basic buzzwords and concepts around climate change and she had taken this course in university that she thought was amazing. And she asked me if she could turn it into a TF Academy course. And um, we have a whole program that we work with instructors to create the course and, and ensure that the content is easy to digest and the slides are very simple to understand because the focus of our academy is really on active learning. 
So we don't, there's no test, there's no exams, there's no takeaway curriculum. It's a PowerPoint presentation really just used to promote conversation. And the learning really comes from the conversation. Created this incredible course and she just presented today. She's teaching it again in the fall. And so anybody can become a teacher. And also we have a lot of industry people who now will reach out and say, can I teach in your academy? So that's amazing. So we've got a series of electives and electives are one time during the semester, or if they're really important, like building code or building science, they'll happen once a month, but for an hour and it'll be repeated. And we've got uh, an incredible blend of experts from our community that donate their time to come and teach in the academy as electives. We also have a whole health and wellness stream, which, you know, we've got yoga, we've got bibliotherapy, we we had forest therapy this time. Awesome. So a lot of other things. And yeah, it, it creates a, a unique, the teachers sometimes will tell me that they get more out of it than the students. Yeah. It's like right? doing public service or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I, there's, there's something to be said for kind of the, like you said, the thought and the intention that's gone into all this. And again, kind of going back to you not having people with the utilization ratio, how, how do people sign up? Do they, do they come up with like a full list of classes that they want to take in a semester? How does, how does that work? How do you give people agency to sign up for that? Because framing this topic, there's the, the idea of ROI, right? Like if somebody's contemplating, okay, well, what if we did this at our place? What's the ROI on that? And that the old adage comes to mind, which is like, well, you know, if we train them, they'll take this information and go somewhere else with it and be successful somewhere else. And it's like, yeah, but what if you don't and they stay? You've obviously created this amazing resource. You want people to do it. So how do they actually, you know, navigate their own world inside of working at Turner Fleischer to make sure that this happens or take advantage Um of it? Yeah, no, great question. And I get this, I get asked this all the time. And I, we provide the um, paid time for the instructors to create their curriculum. We pay for the instructors to teach the courses. So for the time, but for our studio members to take courses, it's on their own time. And they just fit it into their schedule. So it happens before and after work. Okay. The courses start at eight, they go to nine 30. They start at 5.30 and they go to 7 or they happen at lunch. And so it's literally on their own time. Interesting. Okay. And so that's, it's you know, people are always like, it's voluntary and you get that many people doing it. Right. It must be valuable. (laughs) You know, I just, my feeling and I stuck to it and and that we're providing this, all of our courses um, that can provide them their... um, continuing education hours for the Ontario Association of Architects or for CAN-BIM or for the Interior Design Association. So that's an added bonus for them. They don't have to go at night. They don't have to pay for their courses. They can get it all for free right here. And so I just feel like there has to be some skin in the game or you won't get people there that actually want to learn. You're going to get people there that are checking off the boxes. And 
I had no idea when we started this, if it was going to fail because of that. And, you know, I got a lot of pushback in the beginning and I just, I was like, no, I I really believe that this is the model that it needs to be. And like I said, we're on our 20th semester and we have more, you know, somebody asked a question in the Q and A at the end of it this afternoon, how many courses can you sign up for? And I was like, you can sign up for as many as you can fit into your life. Right. That's great. Um, it's interesting yeah. what teaching in the university, I always found teaching the graduate students to be a lot more satisfying from a teacher standpoint because they wanted to be in my course. <laughs> yeah. It was a required course. And the undergrad yeah. students, because they had studio, I mean, the grad students had studio too, but studio runs your life. Yeah. And they were like, you know, totally checked out or sleeping during the class because this other thing was such a, you know, everything orbited around that giant ball of gas, right? So- but but the graduate students who wanted to be there, so kind of to your point about making it all on them to, you know, fit it in and, and having skin in the game and wanting to be there, it's a much more engaging environment for everybody involved. Absolutely. Especially when you take an active learning approach to to it, right? If you don't have active, willing participants, it's gonna fall flat on its face mm-hmm. because there there has to be dialogue, there has to be interaction and and I, I really think that this can tie back into to everything we're talking about, be it technology, be it knowledge, be it anything. You have to have people who are engaged in the ultimate purpose of what you're doing and want to be a part of it. And the only way that you can get that, in my opinion, is by creating this total studio company, whatever you call yours, um, environment that we're all in this together. Yeah. Can you speak to, I I think we'll finish up on this topic. I I would love to hear like what two things that the investment kind of that you guys have put into this, what does it actually take? And I know, I know you're a big believer in starting with starting small steps and then Mm -hmm. growing it from there. So maybe, you know, how it started, how it's going kind of a thing is from an investment standpoint, but also from a successful outcomes standpoint. Like, what have you seen really blossom in your company because of this investment that you've made? In TF Academy yes, specifically? Yes. Uh, absolutely. Because I'm sure I it mean, bleeds way out of that, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the investment really was in a couple of people. So it was two people and it was half of their job at the beginning to run the administrative side of the academy. And so that was, that was it at the beginning was like, okay, those two people and a lot of my time, which is just, you know, my time. And through the years, we've automated the academy incredibly. So we've got QR codes for attendance. Now that it's a virtual, you have a QR code on the screen and you just take a picture of it on your, on your, with your cell phone. And, you know, we've, we've really, it's a well-oiled machine in, in the running of it. The so it doesn't require a lot to get it going. It does require time. My partner, one of my partners, and myself, and the the administrator of the academy, we sit in and we review all of the academy content. We work with the instructors to develop their content. We look at the feedback. We bring it back to to them. So there's a number of meetings throughout to to get this running. And during the semester, we have checkpoints. But the the ROI on the other side is immeasurable. And not only in the knowledge transfer and the learning that occurs, but in the connections between people. Mm-hmm. 
which even now as we're all virtual is so much more important. So it's a, it's a moment in time where you're in a course, the courses, the real courses that meet once a month over four months in the semester, they're an hour and a half once a month and they are about 12 to 16 people. So you're in an, in a, gr- a room with people that you don't work with probably and you're having a shared experience together. So now you know 11 other people that you didn't know before. So forget about the knowledge that they're learning. The benefit of community Mm. is huge. Or, you know, even in our health and wellness ones, you know, you're sitting there doing virtual yoga with a bunch of people from your studio. You're going to get to know them in a whole different way. And so from a sense of bringing people together and building that real culture of community, that's an ROI that I never even anticipated in the beginning. People, people becoming teachers, people being proud of what it is they do and wanting to share that with others gives them such a sense of, of value and importance to what they do every day. And again, it shows others in the studio who those subject matter experts are. Or even like my partner, Jeremy, who runs a workshop, which is smaller. It's only got six people in it. And he's got a workshop on consultant coordination. And there's six sessions. And each session, one of our consultants comes in and just talks about what it's like to be an electrical engineer and what some of the issues they come across are. And he said in the launch today, one of the added benefits of this when you leave this workshop is you now have a touch point in an electrical engineering firm that if you've got something that you need to figure out, you've actually met them in a small group environment, you can reach out to them directly after taking this workshop and get your question answered. Amazing. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah, I didn't ever thought about that. So the unintended, you know, ROI on having something like this and, you know, forget about just the concept of learning software. So, you know, Enscape, um, Dynamo, InDesign, SketchUp, Photoshop, those are all courses in the academy where you can get hands-on learning in how to literally Level use. Up, yeah. so. We call it raising the digital IQ. I like it. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, it sounds, you know, because one of the things will always be in the minds of people thinking about doing this, can we afford to do this? And, and I, you're clearly saying you can't afford not to do this, <laughs> right? Yeah. There's it's It's gone so far and connected so many people and created relationships and culture and learning and skills. And it's all, it, it really is kind of this intricate web of interconnectedness that you could have never foreseen necessarily when you just started off with two people half time, yeah. right? That's amazing. Yeah, no. And, and I think it goes back to, the, the whole way we view practices in our industry. So letting go, and, and my partners had to do this, right? So I'm not an architect. And I personally think that every architecture firm should have a partner who isn't an architect just because they bring a different lens to what's, what's happening. That echo and, chamber can be deafening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and architects, you know, they, 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 they have to let go of their, preconceived ideas of what it is to have a practice. And if that doesn't occur, none of this can occur. And I really applaud my partners for years of, you know, listening to me push and push and push. And then, you know, finally saying like, let's do it. You weren't going to take no for an answer. (laughs) 
Absolutely not. Right. There was no, once they realized that I actually wasn't going to take no, I think they were like, let's just shut her up and let her do let it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing all that today. This has been a fantastic conversation and I really appreciate your time and, and just openness to sharing all this because there, again, so many people are struggling with this and they're looking for a playbook and it doesn't exist. And so hearing stories like this of, not knowing where this is going to go, but taking the risk and jumping in anyway uh, and hearing the positive things that have come out of it, I think are, are are priceless as well. So thank you for sharing today. That's that's our goal. And that's why I love speaking at conferences. And that's why I love speaking on podcasts, because if I can in any way use our story to affect change or inspire others in the industry, then it, then there's there's an added ROI. I would imagine that this would be a huge attraction point for talent out there as well. I mean, this has got to drive things in way, again, like maybe you never saw that coming, but oh my gosh, they they invest in us like that. (laughs) They invest in people in this company. I want to be a part of that. I can totally see that being a huge attraction. Oh yeah. Recruitment and retention is is definitely, definitely part of it. But really at the core to everything is creating a space that everybody wants to come to every day and do something great together. That's awesome. Well, Ellen, is there anything that you would like to tell our audience about how they can, where they can follow along with what's going on with Turner Fleischer? I'll, of course, include all the links in the show notes, but I'd love for you to be able to take a moment to to put that stuff out there. Absolutely. I think um, the best thing to do is follow us on LinkedIn. We uh, we've got a great marketing department that really helps me share our story out there. So you can learn everything you want about our academy and about our digital practice alongside of our projects just by following our LinkedIn. And the other thing that that I'm happy to say is we are willing to share with anybody. I have been contacted on LinkedIn by many people over the years that have said, "Hey, can I talk to you about your academy or can I talk to you about your digital practice?" And it's my pleasure. So I'll leave you with that. Don't be afraid to reach out and ask a question. Perfect. Thank you so much. uh, I'll put links to your LinkedIn and your website in the show notes so that everybody can find those easily. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. Thanks. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank Arc IT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at getarchit, that's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T dot com. Thank you to Twinmotion for their support of this episode of Troxel Podcast. You can visit twinmotion.link slash T-R-X-L, or I've made it easy for you. Just click the link in the show notes and download your copy of Twinmotion for free. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon. Bye.